Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin. Joining me, as always, fellow basketball boy, Greg Ebananamors. I'm so excited. This is the best time of the year. It is the best time of the year. We are finally in full-on March Madness. We have a lot of Pac-12 basketball stuff to get to, so much to get to. We will talk about UCLA losing to Arizona in the Pac-12 tournament. We'll talk a little bit about the games that transpired beforehand. We'll talk about those two team seasons. We'll talk about the NCAA tournament. We're going to have on Bryce Hendricks, uh, who does some really cool shit on scouting uh, on Patreon and uh, on various and sundry sites. But first... If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we got a new review in, Greg. Uh, this oh, guy says, my, my, my life is brewing, says, <laughs> test. Five stars, test. Nice. Well said. Nice. Once you've said that, you've really said it all. Uh, truly, truly, truly uh, inspirational stuff. Uh, please leave us five stars. We got review bombed a little bit ago by Arizona fans. We could appreciate some of the counterbalance. That'd be great. And also, of course, our Patreon, NoTruckStops.com. Uh, we're getting some football content up there soon. More season reviews because why are we doing that? But if you want season football, I'm really selling our Patreon right now. Mostly at this point, if you just want to support the show, you've loved all the work that we've done, consider subscribing for $3. Send us a tip. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us do some cool stuff like we did in Las Vegas. Recorded a bunch of shows. Had a Ryan Abraham. We would not have been able to do that if we were not in Las Vegas, uh, thanks to your support. So we really appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have any other thoughts, let us know. Okay, straight into it. We had so much Pac-12 basketball yes. happen uh, since we last talked. We consumed, after, last time we talked, we consumed 11 hours of Pac-12 basketball, Good which shit. was so much. Um, but uh, just to recap everything that happened this past weekend, on Friday, March 10th, in the Pac-12 tournament semifinals, UCLA beat Oregon by 19, 75 to 56 to advance to the final. Arizona, on the other hand, beat their opponent by 19. Arizona beat Arizona State 78 to 59. The only newsworthy things that came out of that were, I think that, was that the game that Kirk Creesa also got hurt, or was that the game? No, he got hurt the one before. He got hurt okay. against, uh, I don't know, we were at the game where he got hurt. Stanford, Yeah, we. That's right. That's a good point. So we were at the game where he got hurt. He ended up coming back. Uh, he was not effective at all in that game. And then the other piece of news that came out from UCLA, Oregon, is that Dembona hurt his shoulder pretty considerably. UCLA has been telling us the company line from UCLA has been, he'll be back for the tournament. He's going to be fine. I think there's some real skepticism, some founded skepticism on the part of people who are consuming this stuff. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how that transpires. But uh, in the Pac-12 final itself, a really fun, intense game. I'm not sure if you saw it as fun. Maybe I saw it as fun because it was uh, it was a UCLA game and a UCLA Arizona game, and I love that rivalry. Arizona prevailed 61 to 59, beating UCLA to take their second straight Pac-12 tournament championship. UCLA falls short yet again in the Pac-12 tournament championship. Again, for the second year in a row, Arizona edges UCLA two to two out of three on the season. Did you uh, get to watch this game, Greg? Did you get? To, I'm hoping you got to watch this game. Uh, what did you What did you think? I definitely got to watch this game, and I agree with you. I thought this game was incredible. This was exactly what I wanted after the one we got to finish the season, which I said I thought sucked. I thought that game was not fun to watch at all. This one 
absolutely delivered. One of the best basketball games I saw all year. Uh, the way UCLA managed to like gut it out after losing Etienne and uh, or Etienne, however you say it, Etienne, yeah, and Nuba. Uh, was just so fun to watch. Amari Bailey at the center at center is just like the most unhinged shit. And then Arizona, of course, got the job done. Courtney Ramey hit that massive shot at the end. Just overall, such a fun game to watch. Uh, my only regret is that the Amari Bailey uh, dunk, which was one of the best college basketball dunks I've ever seen, did not count. Uh, that was a bullshit call. Whatever. Overall, just fantastic game. Really enjoyed watching it. It was great. It was intense from the jump. Uh, it was, you could tell. I mean, I think at this point, we just have to assume that these two teams hate each other. Mm-hmm. I think they want to beat each other so bad. I think they they recognize it's a rivalry. They look at the top, they sit at the top of the conference and look across each other all year. They are compared constantly all season. Um, and they came out, I, honestly, it looked, it, it, the, the first opening, I don't know, five minutes of the game, absolute garbage. And that's mostly because defensively the intensity was turned up by a 1,000. And I also think they were maybe a little bit nervous. I think they were both had anticipated this matchup, had seen this matchup coming from a mile away. And we got it for the second straight year. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I think it was a fun game. I, they settled in towards the second uh, half of the first half, the, the last 10 minutes of the first half. Um, and kind of figured some stuff out, uh, went back, eventually sort of swung back the other way, became a super tight game at the first, I don't know, two minutes. I was like, yeah, the intensity's up. I think I tweeted like, this is going to be like a 60 to 57 type game. <laughs> it was 60, 61, 59. Uh, this, this was very much the grinded out style, uh, of play that we saw in the first tilt between these two, lots of performances, lots of fantastic performances from all kinds of players. Um, I think the one big thing is that UCLA desperately did miss a Dembona. They, I mean, just just to have another body out there. They had no other bodies to throw at Umar Balo or Julius Tabellas, right? Like, even another replacement level center, they did not have one out there. Um, so Kenny Nuba and Mac Etienne both fouled out, um, got five fouls each, fouled out with about, I don't know, a long time, like seven minutes left, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And UCLA had to roll out that lineup that was Jaime Hawkins, Amari Bailey, Tiger Campbell, and like Will McClendon or Dylan Andrews. And it was, it, they held up. They did not a horrible job. I think in the end, what killed UCLA was the lack of rebounding. And what do you know? They don't have another big out there who can get a rebound. Uh, on that last play where Courtney Ramey hits, hits an incredibly clutch three pointer to take the lead for Arizona. It was off an offensive rebound uh, from Umar Balo, um, and that is sort of somewhat a bit a bit about the the size disparity between the two. So, uh, really, really exciting, interesting game. Uh, lots of fun to watch if you're a neutral. Absolutely painful to watch if you're a UCLA fan. Although UCLA fans kind of look at this and say, "Yeah, we kind of expected to get blown out or beat somewhat comfortably because they did not have Adem Bona in this game, and they were working with." Two replacement level bigs, honestly, in Kenny Nuba and Mac Etienne, who held up. So, great game. Um, what did you think of? What did you think of uh, Azulis Tabellas in this game? He he had some moments, but you know, I I don't know. I'm curious what you thought. He finished with 19 points off five for 14 shooting, 14 rebounds. Um, I I was hoping for more. I'm not gonna lie. Rebounding, good job. Like 14 rebounds, 
is good, even if you're playing a team severely lacking in bigs. But when you're playing a team like that, and you are one of the best players in the conference, the best player on your team, you can't have 19 points on 17 shots as a big. I, I think that's just not good enough, especially with the defensive concerns that he has. I don't think this is one of his worst defensive games, though. Uh, I should say that. I didn't think he was that bad there. But offensively, I really, I, I do hope for more from him uh, in a game where, like, the other team does not have the base yeah. to defend you. It sort of felt like, really, what this felt like, it was the Umar Balo game in this one. He had 13 yeah, he points was, off just... Anonymous in the first half, too. It was was anonymous in the first half. I mean, a lot of that had to do with Kenny Nuba and Matt Etienne mm-hmm. just doing incredible work down low. And in some ways, I, I I get a lot of heat for this, but in some ways, those two are better interior defenders than a Dembona. Like I like them better as guys who are going to be on the inside playing big. Um, now, a Dembona can do several other different kinds of things defensively. He's an incredible help defender, the way that Kenny Nuba and Matt Etienne are not, just because he recovers so well. Um, and also. Um, he's a, a much better offensive player, and Kenny Nuba and Matt Ketien kind of net negatives offensively. Um, and so that was a big thing. So, uh, But they, they gave them something uh, defensively. In the second half, though, Umar Bala really turned it on. Um, it sort of felt like... <laughs> It, it it felt like someone told him, dude, you got to go up there and just and just hammer it. You've got to get inside. And what ended up happening was Mac Etienne and Kenny Nuba fouled out. Uh, he got them fouled out. I think a lot of those fouls were the right calls because Umar Paulo just beat them to position. Um, mm-hmm. Flat out beat them to, to the position or got the ball down low and hammered his way in because he's a big guy. So um, this is why he's he won most improved player of the year. Um, he was awesome this game. For 13 points, four for eight shooting. Eight boards, two blocks. Um, a really good game from him. Um, but, uh, you know, UCLA didn't have the bigs to keep up with him. That's how it sort of ended up shaking out. Yeah, I think you brought up something that I thought was a massive deal in the second half, and I think it's the reason UCLA lost. Aside, well, yeah, it is the reason UCLA lost. Is Makatien and uh, Kenny Nuba just kept losing Omar Balo off the ball. Like it, what I felt like was happening in that game in the second half was Arizona would just be moving around on the perimeter, you know, moving the ball, and then somehow through all the screens, Balo would slip past and he'd get under the rim with nobody around him. And so it's an easy entry pass. He gets the ball and then Etienne has to come running in to try and block this easy layup and he fouls him and it just kept fucking happening. And that's where the fouls were coming from. And if you let Omar Balo get the ball within a few feet of the rim, you're getting a foul or a bucket. Like he's just going to score somehow. Uh, and UCLA had to do a better job defending him off the ball because that, I feel like, is where you really have an opportunity to stop him is to, like, make it hard for him to get the ball, and UCLA did not do that. Yeah, and and what's interesting about that is this is where UCLA really missed the Jalen Clark. UCLA mm-hmm. was getting back cut to death. Um, it just felt like there was... And, and Jalen Clark makes that really hard because of his anticipation, because he's kind of hawking around... He's not his his best asset is not as an on ball defender, but as someone who's going to get in passing lanes and going to anticipate where the pass is coming from. That was his bread and butter uh, right there. I think is where you miss Jalen Clark. That's his impact, and you know, kind of somewhat true for Dembona too. Like a lot of his impact is on help mm-hmm. defense, and so um, getting Pat cut to death 
exactly what you needed to do against UCLA. And I mean, against Oregon, he was phenomenal getting in passing lanes. The play he got hurt on was where he he stole, he got a steal. He forced, uh, he broke up, I think, an inbounds pass. Uh, and then just, you know, as he was diving on the ground for the ball, that's when he got hurt. But like, that's a big deal for UCLA because uh, Umar Ball is not the only good big in this tournament. I think they're going to run into some good ones in the West. Uh, of the tournament bracket, so this is this is a problem they've got to fix. Yeah. So, <clears throat> oof. Um, we'll see how it shakes out. I uh, he got hurt. Adem Bona did in the Oregon game, as you mentioned. At this point, it's not clear what if and when he'll come back. The school is saying one thing, but it's it's hard to believe that. Uh, more in Arizona. Um, again, it must be said, like Courtney Ramey. Had a brutal, brutal game. Absolutely got nothing going from from three except for the final shot, <laughs> except for the go ahead game winner. It was it was almost kind of poetic in some ways. It's like the man has been hot all season long and goes completely cold in this game. Um, and it wasn't until that last, uh, you know, the last go ahead game winner where you know he, he took a three with all the confidence in the world and drained it so he was a he was awesome in this game um Kirk Risa, I you know probably shouldn't have been playing in here but he did hit a couple of uh really important three pointers so you got to give him credit for that uh, I thought the the one player that I think kind of changed the complexion of the game often was Pella Larson Pella Larson is one of those guys who like you look at him and you're like, man, this dude should like be an NBA player, but he's just not. Um, like he just has not put together the the skills and the talent and the athleticism and the length. He just hasn't been able to put it all together. This game though was awesome. It felt like offensively he was giving up. He was giving UCLA some hell. Had two went two for four from three, and then defensively all over the place, uh, doing a really good job on Jaime Hawkes and doing a really mm-hmm. good job defensively. So props to props to them. Um, yeah, I, the, and then on the other side, UCLA played an incredible game despite not having a Dembona, despite having two, f- frankly, two bigs who would not get to start on many Pac-12 programs, if we're being honest. Like, they'd start at Cal and uh, Oregon State. Like, but I'm not sure if they're, you know, Kenny mm-hmm. Nuba, Mac Etienne, I'm not sure. They're just not the kinds of guys you want out there uh, for 40 minutes, right? And that's what they had to play. Or, you know, in, in total, they played 35 minutes together so um kind of brutal there and then yeah they fouled out and somehow ucla survived long enough to to actually have a lead with like seconds to go had an really open three to win stuff. the game too and an open three dylan andrews misses the open three we didn't even talk about that that final possession courtney ramey drills a three i believe they did not have any timeouts after I that drain three i'm pretty sure no they did have one ucla You're right. had a timeout yep. they could have yep. called it I think Mick Cronin was right not to call it, though. I, because I mean, they got, when you have a wide-open shooter at three, you just have to take it and hope he makes absolutely. it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not at all a bad decision. He he didn't want Arizona's defense to get set, mm-hmm. especially kind of coming from half court. Um, I don't I don't think there are, now that I think about it, there's no side-outs in college basketball. But uh, if, you, to, if, you, yeah, if, you, if you get it across the line and call the timeout, then... Yeah. So, uh, and I, you know, I, I just didn't... It, Dylan Andrews, wide open from three. He's not a great shooter, but he had a couple of great shots in here. Mm-hmm. You take that. You obviously take that. Yeah, that's wide better open. than most out-of-bounds plays you're going to get. So I thought, good good call not to do it. You know, that's just that's just how it goes sometimes, you know? Yeah. So 
Um, a great game from another insane game from Amari Bailey. Man. If UCLA had pulled this out, he wins most outstanding player. Absolutely, down. without a doubt. Um, he his, This tournament has been really great from him. 19 points against Arizona off of 8 for 14 shooting. Um, his defense probably slacked Not a little good, bit. But... Yeah, uh, but I but you know one of the curious things about this is that Mick Cronin went away from Mick, uh, Amari Bailey a little bit in the second half. He was hot as hell mm-hmm. in that first half. Um, pretty quiet in the second. It felt like uh, Cronin went away from him. Started leaning a little bit too much on Jaime Hawkins, who's a great player. But I, I think when you got to ride a hot hand when you have it with Amari Bailey. Um, so that kind of sucked. What Amari Bailey really shined on defensively was guarding, fronting Umar Balo, <laughs> which, which is was the a cr- funniest fucking thing. How did that crazy work? Crazy to watch. <laughs> crazy to watch. I mean, here's how it works. I think one of the things is uh, Amari Bailey did a fantastic job of fronting him. He mm-hmm. is both tall enough and athletic enough to sort of get up there and, and make Arizona mm-hmm. think twice. But also the way UCLA was positioning themselves to not allow an easy entry pass. Which is something they didn't do when they had the bigs, which is so frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they compensated maybe a little bit too much for the the bigs. Yeah, at some point you're just like, let the guards, let Arizona's guards, they're by far their weakest. Mm-hmm. Right? They're one of their biggest weaknesses. Their biggest weakness. Let the guards beat you. See what happens. Um... So great stuff from UCLA, great stuff from Arizona, um, uh, amazing performances from Amari Bailey. Tiger Campbell had some really great performances here. Not super efficient, but had some moments where you were like, ah, yeah, he's he's starting to figure some stuff out here offensively. It was a, a brutal time to miss two free throws uh, at the end there. Tough. I felt real bad. <laughs> tough, tough stuff. He actually missed only, I think he only missed one. Uh, I, I thought. I thought people were saying that was the first time he'd missed two in a Oh, it was two in a game. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first time he'd missed two right. in a game since like early February. Yeah. So, um, tough stuff. But if you're a UCLA fan, you got to walk away and be like, we nearly beat Arizona and we didn't have a Dembona and Jalen Clark. Mm-hmm. And that is a deeply impressive performance from UCLA. Should give you some confidence going into them for March. Okay. Uh, any thoughts about Arizona winning their second Pac-12 tournament? Here's here's my I, I should have I should have brought up this discourse last year. Uh, Pac-12 tournaments, championships. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, they get you the auto bid. Didn't matter here in this case. Both were getting in. I kind of feel like they're not as. Uh, I know this is gonna sound like copium. If you're an Arizona fan out there, please dunk on me for for copium. But I I sort of think about this and last year like. Arizona did not need to win the Pac-12 tournament title in order to cement themselves as last year's best team. And I kind of think UCLA did not need to win the Pac-12 tournament this year to cement themselves as the best team. But it does give you some validation. I don't know. What do you think about that? Because we kind of talked about that on a Twitter space, I think. I would agree with the idea that the tournament title is not what makes a team the best pl- the best team. I think okay. UCLA earned their title as the best team and with the injuries in this game, I think they would have without with with a Dembona. I think they would have won this game. That being said, uh, tournament titles matter. They're maybe different, but people remember them, and I think people remember them more than they remember regular season titles hmm. uh, because I don't know. There's just something about them they mean more. Um, so full credit to Arizona. They will be remembered, I think, more than UCLA will for the Pac-12 title. 
that being said, you know, I, I, I do think UCLA is going to go further uh, in the NCAA tournament than Arizona will. Anyway, uh, yeah, while UCLA might have been the best team, good job, Arizona. You are Pac-12 champions. Yeah. So uh, UCLA and Arizona spit, split the Pac-12 titles um, in the end, but uh, interesting stuff. All right, let's move on to talk about, we had Selection Sunday. We had some some tournament stuff happen. Actually, we finally know who was in. Buddy, we have four Pac-12 teams in the tournament as the gods had ordained at the beginning of the season, as has been prole- pros- proleth- prophesied. Pro- prophesied no where's that what's that Pro- uh there's another word uh for this why am i looking this shit up um, as has been projected predicted has been projected whatever i'm not gonna i, can't I think remember. prophesied is the word you were looking for yeah yeah probably um anyway <laughs> so for pac-12 tournament we were so in the end the pac-12 gets ucla in and arizona both those were locks usc yeah kind of a lock pretty safely in by the end and Bringing it up the rear, Arizona State, uh, the NCAA selection committee looked at their resume, said they were good enough. They get in one of the final, the first four spots, so they will have to play a play-in game with Nevada, <laughs> Steve Alford's Nevada, <laughs> to get into the main field. But uh, great stuff. I'm going to go down a little bit about where they were seated. So Arizona is a two seed in the in the South. Their first games will be in Sacramento. The first opening weekend will be in Sacramento before they have to travel out. Um, but they're the two seed. They get number 15, Princeton. Just so folks know, I'll go through really quick the bracket they're in, okay? Uh, in their bracket, it's number one, Alabama versus uh, uh, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, or southeastern Missouri. Uh, the 8-9 seed is Maryland and West Virginia. The 5-12 seed, San Diego State, Charleston. The 413 matchup, Virginia Furman. 611 is Creighton, North Carolina State. 314 is Baylor, UC Santa Barbara. 7 and 10, Missouri and Utah State, who will play the winner of Arizona Princeton. Any reactions first? Let's talk about Arizona's bracket. Any reactions to this bracket here for them? Uh, and my first instinct when I saw it was that Arizona got lucky with their draw. But. Hmm. Having looked at it, <clears throat> looked into it some more, I still think they might be gone in the first weekend. Oh, goodness. Uh, prov- I, 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 Princeton, I should say, I think is probably the best of the 15 seeds. Shouldn't matter. Wow. Arizona should Gotta, still... I'm going to ask I'm gonna ask Bryce. Remind me to ask Bryce for that. That's a take. <laughs> uh, Arizona should still torch him. You know, well, maybe not torch, but like should be a comfortable win, you know? Uh, what I'm worried about is I think Mississippi, uh, not Mississippi, uh, I think Missouri and Utah State are both fantastic teams hmm. um, and teams that will be able to score with Arizona, which, and I think they're teams specifically that will, um, that will make it really, really hard for Tommy Lloyd to figure out what to do with Tabellus. I think he will not be able to hide against them. And that is going to cause them problems. Like we remember from specifically the Arizona State game, the way Tommy Lloyd was taking Tubelas out at every opportunity uh, defensively late in that game. Uh, and I think Utah State and Missouri are teams that can can do that, make him do that again, uh, which is going to be a problem. That being said, Arizona should probably still be able to score on them, but I just don't trust uh, 
I don't know if I trust Tavellis to be able to put up enough points to make up for what he's going to give up defensively because I don't think he's been particularly good these last few weeks. Yeah. Uh, just so folks know, Princeton is 112th in Kempom. Well, we're an unremarkable team in terms of their metrics, but Missouri, Utah State. Uh, Missouri is uh, the number 10 offense in Kempom's adjusted efficiency um, rating. And Utah State, just a little behind them. They are 13th in the country in adjusted offense. So Arizona's defense is going to get tested. Uh, My initial reaction is is, this is a scary bracket if you're Mm -hmm. Arizona. Missouri and and Utah State, both uh, potentially, I'm going to ask Bryce what he thinks in a minute, um, potentially scary matchups because of what they do offensively. Don't know anything about them, but they're good offensive teams. Arizona, their defense needs some work, uh, still needs to be worked out a little bit, even though it played pretty well against uh, UCLA. It was an undermanned UCLA team. And then if they manage to get through both Princeton and one of Missouri-Utah State, their reward will probably have to play have, be playing Baylor. I think um, it's Creighton, actually. Uh, you think, I mean, you think Creighton, I think Creighton okay. gets – I think Baylor is uh, not great. They, okay. they don't play defense. Um so I, I think they'll I think Creighton will get them. And Creighton is a team that Arizona only beat by two earlier this year. That's right. And they have been, I think, finding themselves a little bit as as the season goes on. They've got NBA talent on that roster. Uh it's it's a tough team. That's a tough team to get next if you manage to get past Utah State or Missouri. That's a good point. Uh, so if they manage to get all of that, they'll have to play probably one of like Alabama, who's like the most athletic team in the country, yeah. or Oof. the and the number one overall seed. We forgot to mention that, or mm-hmm. Virginia, which has uh, some championship medal. Uh, maybe not a great team, but a good defensive one. Virginia's um, losing first round. <laughs> My Furman Paladins. <laughs> um, or they'll play San Diego State, who gave Arizona some troubles. So, okay. Let's move on to another bracket, and then we'll get Bryce in here to kind of talk about this stuff. Um, USC. And uh, let me see. I think USC is in by themselves, right? Yeah, USC is in the East by themselves as a Pac-12 team. They are the 10th seed. Let me read off the bracket here. Uh, Number one, Purdue in that bracket. Uh, They take on Texas Southern slash FDU, winner of that game. Number eight, Memphis versus number nine, Florida Atlantic. Number five, Duke. And number 12, Oral Roberts. Number four, Tennessee will take on number 13, Louisiana. Number six, Kentucky will take on number 11, Providence. Number three, Kansas State will take on number 14, Montana State. Number seven, Michigan State will take on number 10, USC. The winner of that game will play number two, Marquette versus number 15, Vermont. Initial reactions. What did you think of their bracket? Uh, It's tough. I mean, like Michigan State is a winnable game. I think that's probably a coin flip. From what I know about Michigan State, uh, I think it could go either way. But you win that game, and you get the right to get hammered by Marquette. I think I don't think they have a chance at the Sweet 16. Oh, wow. Wow. I don't know anything about Marquette, but they are in a, I don't know, a dumpy league in the Big East. The Big uh, East is a good, it's a better league than the Pac-12. It's uh, barely, in Ken Palm, barely. They're the fourth league. Uh, Pac-12 is five, so I, I'm not really too sure how much I buy into that. But so that's it's, fine, it's a dumpy league, wherein they performed better than USC performed in this dumpy league, I think. <laughs> it's not a dumpy league, Greg. We got four bids. <laughs> they have five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh kind of interesting we'll see we'll see how they do okay 
Real quickly, uh, there was the Midwest bracket, but we had no Pac-12 teams in there. So uh, truck stop really bracket. About that. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Big time truck stop bracket. Uh, but we had two other Pac-12 teams in the West. I'll go ahead and read off the full seating here. Number one seed in that bracket, Kansas, taking on number 16, Howard. Apparently, this is Howard's first NCAA tournament since, like, 1992. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Um, Arkansas, number eight, takes on number nine, Illinois. Number five, St. Mary's, takes on number 12, VCU. Number four, UConn, takes on number 13, Iona. And the ha- lower half of that bracket, number six, TCU, takes on the winner, of Arizona State and Nevada in the first four. The winner of that game will then play number three, Gonzaga, or number 14, Grand Canyon. Uh, then Northwestern at the number seven seed will take on Boise State in the 10th seed. Winner of that game will go on to play number two, UCLA, versus number 15, UNC Asheville. Initial reactions to UCLA and ASU's bracket. So uh, for UCLA, I'll start with them because I think they have real Final Four aspirations. Uh, it is, I think, a good first two uh, first two games. I think there shouldn't be any problem there, which is especially good because I am with you in being skeptical of what UCLA is saying about a Dembona shoulder. But maybe with another week of rest, if they can get to the second weekend in the Sweet 16, uh, they'll get him back. I, I, I'm hopeful with that. So I think that's pretty nice. The problem is, in terms of Ken Palm, I believe one, two, three... Four of the top nine teams in Kempom are in the West, which is pretty tough uh, for UCLA. That That is unfortunate. Getting to the Final Four will be a gauntlet. Uh, that being said, I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't make the Sweet 16. Uh, as for ASU, I think TCU is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I think they hopefully can beat Steve Alford's Nevada. Uh and then, Sorry, you forget what, what about Arizona State? You don't think Arizona State's beating Nevada? I do. That, that's what oh, I said. You, I said, oh, you I said think they'll probably oh, oh, beat. Oh, oh, I thought you about TCU. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, ASU, I think, will beat Steve Alford's Nevada. I don't think they'll beat TCU. And if they do beat TCU, I don't think they'll beat Gonzaga. Uh, so we will not get, at least I don't think, we will not get uh, a UCLA ASU Sweet 16 matchup. Uh, but you know what? Good on ASU for making it to the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think the... I'll say this about... I'll start with UCLA like you did. Uh, I, I don't know many of these teams, but... I don't know. I mean, Northwestern, Boise State, per Kempom, the analytics, eh, they're whatever. So I think UCLA gets to probably sleepwalk through UNC Asheville um, mm-hmm. and maybe even sleepwalk through Northwestern, Boise State for the purpose of a Dem Bono. You brought it up probably should be super helpful to have him uh, mm-hmm. give him an extra week of rest. Um, if he has to, he can play on the minutes restriction against Northwestern Boise State. But maybe it doesn't have to get to that point, and UCLA can blow him out. Um, and then on the other side of that bracket, I don't know. I mean, uh, TCU is a six seed, 12 losses. Analytically, where are they at? They are 27th, which is, like, fine. They have a top – their offense is 53. Their defense is number 20. The thing, the teams that scare me are the really offensive oriented ones. Defensive oriented ones do not scare me at all. If I'm a UCLA fan, mm-hmm. because of the way UCLA plays, Gonzaga. I mean, they haven't been good all season. Uh, uh, they have they, been. They've been good recently. Best offense in college basketball these last few weeks. <laughs> Best offense in college basketball per Kempom for sure. Um, but you know, it's it's like they beat St. Mary's. They beat San Francisco. St. Mary's okay, good team. Although UCLA beat the shit out of St. Mary's before, but 
good team per the metrics. Uh, San Francisco, 100th in Kempom. Chicago State, 296th in Kempom. That's lower than Cal, I'm pretty sure. Number 11, St. Mary's. Again, they beat them uh, in late February. Then it's like USD, Pepperdine, Loyola Marymount, BYU, San Francisco, since their last loss against St. Mary's on February 4th. I don't know. I mean, I... Uh, I, this is the hard thing about Gonzaga is just trying to gauge them. They, you know, when they've had to play some tough teams, they lost to Loyola Marymount. I don't know. I guess I'm just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're absolutely vulnerable, especially if a Dembona plays. I think it's a toss up if a Dembona plays, and I, or sorry, it's a toss up if a Dembona does not play, and I think UCLA should win if Bona does play. So. I don't know. That's my thought. And then after that, for their reference, then you got to deal with only one of Kansas or UConn or St. Mary's, which I don't know is getting to an elite eight. Um, so I, or Illinois, although Illinois did beat UCLA earlier and looks very athletic. Maybe Illinois just Illinois knocks someone got to get off. through Arkansas who has like maybe three first round picks. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and okay. I'm very not saying they won't do it. Like it's totally possible. They could. I just think that this is a really, really strong region, uh, which is unfortunate for UCLA. Uh, as for Gonzaga, I think I kind of agree with you. Uh, I'll probably pick UCLA to get past Gonzaga. But as you said, uh, you're more worried uh, with, with UCLA, I'm more worried about the uh, the offensive-minded teams than the defensive-minded teams. Uh, and Gonzaga is definitively an offensive-minded team, which could, could pose issues. And then after Gonzaga, I think it'll be Kansas or UConn. I think both of those are phenomenal teams. Uh, UConn, I don't know a ton about, which, uh, is embarrassing as someone who professes to love UConn. Um, <laughs> apparently they, they're not good. Apparently I heard from an, uh, a big East fan that oh, they are. Well, that big East fan should maybe go fuck themselves. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> you're the one who said you didn't know anything about them. Shut up. Uh, I think <laughs> from what I know about them now, Bryce will hopefully help us with this. Uh, I think they're a great defensive team. UConn. And then Kansas is great at everything. They're one of, I believe, the four teams currently in the top 22 of offense and defense uh, per Kempom. Uh, that is going to be really tough for UCLA. Either of those matchups, I think, are just great teams. Doesn't mean UCLA can't make it to the Final Four. It's just a tough road. Let's move on to our next segment. We have here a special guest, Bryce Hendricks who is a hardcore basketball sicko, a tape grinder, um, a Washington State alum, right? Am I getting that right? Uh, a soon-to-be, soon-to-be. Soon-to-be alum, a student. like a month left of school. All right. Um, and is on the Upside Swings podcast, hosts that um, does a lot of talent evaluation stuff. Is that fair to say? Am I, am I giving you a good enough bio? <laughs> That's probably yeah. Most of your fans would probably know me best from Kook Center. That would probably be my uh, the the best place to find my Pac-12 specific work. Um, and we're excited to have you because we have to uh, make a confession. Greg and I, uh, we don't watch conferences outside of our own. Um, or you know, at least I don't. I I. I if if it doesn't happen in the Pac-12, I am not watching it. <laughs> I will occasionally partake of other of other conferences <laughs> recreationally, but uh, I wouldn't say it's a habit. 
Uh, anyway, that's a hell of a way to describe that. <laughs> so you guys you know, don't uh, you guys don't watch a ton of Big West like me? That's that's just a me thing. I actually <laughs> I, I watched a lot of Whack this year. Um, oh yeah, baby. I was oh, betting. Yeah. I was betting on probably an unhealthy amount of SUU games. <laughs> we have a friend in our in our Pac-12 group chat, which Bryce is now part of, uh, thankfully. James, who goes to SUU, and uh, I swear to God, I've never consumed more SUU <laughs> content in my entire life, just by proxy. Anyway, the point is, we don't watch team. We don't watch teams outside of our conference. Um, for us, it's the Pac-12 and nothing else. So we wanted to just get an outside perspective. You watch a lot of ball outside of the Pac-12 and inside the Pac-12. So we just thought we'd go around the bracket, talk a little bit about the NCAA tournament bracket, and much to Greg's chagrin, also talk a little bit about the NIT bracket. Uh, our, our listeners are Pac-12 friends, Greg. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if you know that. Um, so we're going to just ask you some questions. Our first is, you know, we, we just sort of recapped this right before you came on. UCLA, a two-seed in the West. Uh, USC, a 10-seed in the East. And Arizona, a two-seed in the South. And Arizona State in the first four in a play-in game for the 11-seed, also in the West. Is there any of these teams that you sort of, when the bracket dropped, that you sort of felt like had a particularly advantageous situation that you felt like, you know, the teams you're sort of looking up and down their bracket and you're like, oh, yeah, this Pac-12 team, they uh, they might be in a good spot if they can, if either a few things break their way or if they get hot or even if they just play at the level they are. Is there any bracket that that stands out to you in terms of being advantageous? This will probably sound like a cop out, but it's the one with the two Pac-12 teams in it. The West feels very uh, Pac-12 friendly. Um, it starts with UCLA versus UNCA. Uh, UNCA is the best 15 seed, in my opinion, by like a solid margin. Greg but, said those words exactly. So. I, I, I didn't say those words because uh, I said them about <laughs> Princeton, but I don't watch these teams. Oh, yeah, that's right. So oh, that's right. Uh, it was about Princeton. Sorry. I'm probably just fucking wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But what what I'll say with UNCA, despite being the best 15 seed, UCLA is the worst matchup for them because what they do best is pick and pop. Well, your pick and pop game isn't going to work as much when bigs are showing at the level like like uh, UCLA does. Uh, I just don't think that game is going to be there. And um, I, I you know for for all of uh, you know Bona and Wuba's um, you know on and off issues. I think that they are a pretty strong match for uh, what UNCA does. Uh, and then you have either Northwestern or Boise State. One, Northwestern played in like the easiest power conference imaginable because the Big Ten stinks. Ass. Um, it's so bad. Uh, you know, I, I think Boise State is solid. I don't think Boise State is the type of team that can give UCLA much trouble other than it'll probably be a really ugly game. Um and then kind of towards the top of that section, you know, Arizona State obviously has to win three to get to the Sweet 16, not just two. But I think they're solidly better than Nevada. They have two former Nevada players, which yeah, is kind of ironic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think TCU is at a weird point. Uh, their starting big has already transferred out, is not going to play in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're a team I'd want to bet on. The mojo just feels really weird. And then I think they could potentially beat a team like Gonzaga, as crazy mm. as that sounds, because Gonzaga's defense is so flammable. It's pretty easy for me to see, you know, and, and it would probably be a high-scoring game, but like someone like a Frankie Collins or Des Cambridge, I could just see those guys 
completely abusing Drew Timmy, um, really forcing uh, Anton Watson to do a lot and taking him out offensively. Um, of course, Julian Strother is still going to get buckets and, and Timmy's still going to get buckets too, but Warren Washington could probably somewhat contain Timmy on offense. And then it's just about how much can you slow them down? Arizona state is pretty good at that. They're pretty good at making teams uh, play at, at, at a more, uh, you know, at their pace, I, I guess is how I'd say that. And so, so both those teams kind of we, we could see a a Pac twelve uh, Sweet Sixteen matchup there. Uh, it's it's not necessarily likely, but I, the path for both of them is feasible. So I, that's the one that really stands out to me as a really interesting region. What about on the other side of that bracket? It does feel like when I you know when I looked at this bracket, I sort of felt the same way that, and I don't you know again don't know, but it sort of feels like the narratives of those teams are. Maybe not uh, particularly as strong, but the the upper half of that bracket looks much stronger. Do you agree? Do you feel like that that is a little bit of a a difference, or would you say it's it's about the same? No, that that, that top portion is definitely better, and and it's not just the top seeds either. Like Iona is a is a very very good uh, um, fourteen seed, or sorry, thirteen. Uh, 13 yeah. Excuse me. Um, you know, VCU is a great twelve seed. Uh, that St. Mary's VCU game is going to be so ugly. Uh, UConn as a four seed, I, I get why they're at that line, but the way they've been playing these these past couple of weeks is that of a two seed. And I think you know Kansas could have a hard time going from Howard, which is you know a fine sixteen t- seed, to Arkansas or Illinois. If it's Arkansas, it's going to be a grinded out, really physical, you know, tough game against the Must Bus. Uh, if it's Illinois. It's probably a little easier for them, but Illinois can really shoot. They can get hot. They have guards and wings who can who can make a lot of plays. And then, you know, if it's UConn in that Sweet 16, uh, Kansas might have a very, very hard path. And as injured as UCLA is, it's, it's a very, not easy, but they have a very solid path towards that Final Four because those top teams in that bra- side of the bracket are going to be so you know, exhausted from having to play consistently against top teams at, you know, peak health who are playing their best ball right now. Yeah, this is sort of how we, I'm glad that our uh, lack of knowledge outside the Pac-12 at least has some currency. It doesn't sound too discordant. Obviously a lot more detail about some of these teams, but um, that is really helpful. What about the other side of it? Like, what do you, is there, is there uh, a bracket maybe between USC and Arizona in the East or the South respectively that you think is particularly brutal? If that, that looks like a gauntlet. Uh, I think Arizona is going to have a really tough time. Um, partially because I don't really believe in Arizona as a tournament team. Um, I, I think last year, the far more talented version of this team still showed that it's just, there, uh, I can't remember the exact stat, but there's a stat that uh, went around that was like teams that are top, you know, 60 in pace just tend to really struggle in March because in playoff situations, the game slows down. I don't really trust Arizona's half court offense at all. It's just a lot of, um, you know, that high low is great against teams of lesser size. But when they're playing a team, you know, in the second round, Utah State or Missouri, those are two teams that also play fast and that'll be interesting, but both those teams are, are slightly better shooting teams. Um, I trust their guards more uh, Arizona, just like a backcourt of Courtney Ramey, Pell Larson, Kirk Creesa. That's just not a backcourt. I trust to get it done in March. 
Um, I think it's not that their their side of the bracket is super hard. I think Baylor's a, a fairly weak three seed. I think Creighton is really good as a six seed. Um, but it's more just that I, I I just don't know how their brand is going to uh, scale up. And I think Utah State is specifically really, really deadly. They've been playing really good this second half of the year. Um, they have a lot of shooting. Uh, they ha- they'll have the best guard in that game uh, with Steven Ashworth, assuming Utah State beats Missouri. But if it's Missouri, you know, Kobe Brown is someone who I don't know that Arizona can really match up with because he will, he's just too much, he's so much faster than someone like Azulis Tubelis. Um, but if they tried to put like a Pell Larson on him, uh, he'll use his size and, and, and they can space out around him. Um, and then it gets tough. Uh, Missouri's a really, really good team. Uh, and both those teams, whoever wins that seventh ten, 10 uh, I, I think they could give Arizona a game and, and that could be the team that we see um, get upset in the second round and not even make a sweet 16 run. But even if they do, you know, then you're facing a Creighton squad or a Baylor squad. Both those teams are really good. Creighton specifically uh, feels like a very tough matchup for uh, Arizona because they're, um, they're, again, their guard play is just so good. And I feel like that's something that Arizona is going to struggle to match up with. And then they also have one of the best rim protecting bigs mm-hmm. in the country in Ryan Kalkbrenner, who um, I just think is probably better than Amar Bayo, um, probably slightly better than Azulis Dubelis, as crazy as that might sound to some. Um, and I, I think they're going to struggle to score efficiently on the interior. And if, if they're not hitting shots, it's it, it, it becomes a tough proposition for them to really make a run in this tournament, in my opinion. What would you say, uh, it's a great point you brought up, and something that I think we've been we've been playing with and toying with, this idea that Arizona is a fast-paced team. Fast-paced teams struggle in the tournament. Um, were, were you, you know, does it give you any confidence that Arizona did beat UCLA and a couple of other teams, UC, They in particular UCLA twice, playing a slow-paced, grinded-out kind of game? Or do you sort of think that was maybe just a matchup problem with some size? They got they got fortunate that the matchup matchups worked out well, especially in the second game. Like, what is it about Arizona's pace that, that really scares you and why you feel like it's so unsustainable? For me, what really scares me with Arizona's pace is how, um, specifically Jubelis, who is the center of their offense, operates within that pace. Um, you know, he, I believe, like, something like, 70% of his twos were assisted. 75% of his twos were assisted this year. And a lot of those are in transition. Um, I think teams can really pack the paint when they get in the half court and kind of dare Arizona to, to beat them from the outside. And uh, you know, that UCLA game specifically one, it was a, it was a complete classic, an awesome game. Um, and I think it showed some maybe questions with UCLA. If, if Bona is going to be hurt and obviously Jalen Clark, but I also think that, you know, that game was not super representative of much to me. You know, they um, only won by two on a, you know, questionable kind of last shot from Courtney Ramey uh, that put things away. I, I don't know if they can consistently beat teams that slow them down. Um, now, uh, if, if we are talking about just like playing fast, I did mention Missouri, Utah State, they all they both play fast. Um Creighton is the one who I think could slow them down. Creighton plays not like the most deliberate pace in the world, but um, they, they they can slow teams down. And Greg McDermott specifically is one of the better uh, half-court offensive coaches in the country. 
Um, and I, I think he can really tear apart their defense if, if the game becomes a half court game. Uh, because guys like Arthur Kaluma, uh, Brian Nemhard are just really going to abuse Arizona's lack of defense um, in the half court. I just, I, I, they're, it's not necessarily just that you can't play in the half court. It's that they don't have good half court initiators. And that was mm. their issue last year, right? Like Dalen Terry was a great quote unquote point guard when he's has a head of steam in transition and no one's back. But as soon as you're asking him to run half court pick and roll, everything falls apart. Benedict Matherin is good, is incredible as he was not a good ball handler, not a point guard, not someone you can just give the ball to and have him run an efficient offense. This year, it's kind of the same thing. Kirk Carissa has taken like 62s all year because he can't, you know, break down a defense and put any pressure on them. He's only taking threes at this point. Um, you know, Pell Larson has been one of the more disappointing players in the conference because he hasn't been able to step up into a more of a guard role. They don't really have anyone to do that. They rely so heavily on this kind of too big look in the half court, these high-low looks, that if teams are just kind of sagging off, if they're sitting in the back of Almar Bayo, or I've seen teams you know, effectively front them as well. And, and it just becomes tough for me to see them consistently running solid half-court offense. And, and I don't trust them to not get slowed down when teams are this locked into what they do. It's a great point. And I feel like uh, this has been an issue with Arizona is really, I mean, kind of dating some of these issues date back to last year, as you sort of alluded to. So that's a really great insight. What about USC's bracket? USC is a 10th seed. Now, I know we may not have very high expectations for USC, but does this, uh, how do you feel about their bracket and their ability to kind of shock some folks, get to a sweet 16, something like that? Do you feel like it sets up well for them or feel like it might be a little bit too tough? I think USC got a great poll, as great a poll as you can get as a 10th mm. Um Michigan State, and again, like I'm going to sound like such a Big Ten hater. It's because I am. I think <laughs> the Big Ten is awful. Um, and Michigan State is a part of that. I, I honestly thought Michigan State was like barely, you know, I thought they should be like a 10th seed, basically. Um, you know, losses, you know, at Michigan, at Iowa. Uh, Rutgers, like, like they just don't have a super impressive uh, resume to me. I think that they are really going to struggle to guard uh, Boogie Ellis. AJ Hogard is a pretty good on-ball defender, um, but his usage is at 27%, and he has started to really fall off defensively because of that. He's so uh, relied upon on offense that it just doesn't – he can't bring that over uh, to the defensive end. Um, they, they lack, like – Real rim protection, Matty Soko kind of stinks. Um, so I, I, I think uh, I, I also think USC has some wild cards. Like I think someone like Vince Wachukwu makes a huge difference in a game like this. Um, I, I think you know Drew Peterson obviously <laughs> has had an up and down year to say the least, but he is someone who is going to be a tough matchup if he's hitting shots. Um, and I think. Michigan State doesn't really have anyone to guard that guard him, um, and and Michigan State's just a high volume pick and roll team, but they're not a, a particularly deadly one. Um, they're forty first in the country in offense, which is fine, um, but it's like they are a. There's not really anything they do that's specifically efficient. They're a good percentage three point shooting team, but they don't take very many. Um, they rely a lot on Joey Hauser and Tyson Walker to basically do all their spacing. 
Um, it's just, I, I, I think it's a really advantageous first round matchup. One that I would argue they should be favored in as, as mm. crazy as that might sound to some as a 10 seed. What about, uh, just thinking about that bracket more, would you, would you say they have a shot at beating Marquette? Greg is convinced that Marquette would absolutely smoke them. Do you think they have a shot or do you feel like, uh, and that would be their round of 32 matchup? So Marquette is a really hard team to get like uh, a beat on. They do enter they do enter the tournament on a nine game winning streak, and if they played USC, they'd be on a ten game winning streak. But I I will say they're a you know fast paced offense first team. They rely a lot on generating shots in early offense. They rely a lot on their guys to be um, hitting their outside shots. Guys like Cam Jones, um, you know even. Omax, Olivier, Maxence proper. Uh, they rely a lot on those guys to be hitting their outside shots in transition. Um, and USC is pretty good at slowing teams down. They rank 318th in the country in opponent pace, which is good in this sense. 318th is good in this sense. Um, you know, they're a great, they're great at getting their bigs back specifically. Josh Morgan, Vincent Wachukwu, excellent at just running the floor, being the first guy back and preventing easy layups in transition. Um, and I will say, I think Marquette's defense is kind of gimmicky. Uh, it's mm. this like one, three, one press where they put their tallest guy at the head of it, but they don't generate a ton of turnovers from it. Uh, actually they do, excuse me. Their top guy doesn't get a ton of turnovers, but someone like a Boogie Ellis, I think can pretty consistently break that. Uh, the worry for me in a game uh, against Marquette is that Marquette has a few guys they can go to. Obviously, Tyler Collect, the biggest player of the year, um, is their go-to guy. But Cam Jones can create his own shot consistently. Oso Igadoro is one of the best passing big men in the country who can um, do a lot kind of operating out of the post and on short rolls. And USC kind of just has two guys who you're comfortable with them going to. You know, if Boogie Ellis or Drew Peterson get hot, I think they can absolutely win this game um, because especially Ellis, I think, I think Marquette's going to struggle to match up with one-on-one, but as we've seen with USC, you know, their losses tend to come when those guys aren't hitting shots. We saw it at Washington state. We saw it uh, at Oregon state this year, like saw those losses, ASU. yeah, I guess <laughs> ASU, like those losses come when those two just aren't hitting shots. So they are very, very dependent on, whether those guys can hit shots, but if they do hit shots, I I I think they could potentially upset Marquette, even though that's probably more of a swing than you know, say uh, an Arizona State over Gonzaga in my book. Mm. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, well, last question here before we let you go here in the dead of the night. Every year, you know, there's you get a couple players in the tournament who go off and have some really big. Just just get hot uh, and and uh, uh, start tearing up some teams. Is there a player like that that you would say in, among the Pac-12 teams, right? USC, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona. Is there a team among a player among any of those that you think is most likely to be that player to be the tournament sort of breakout star? The Johnny Juzang as as yeah, your the Johnny Juzang. That's right. Um, I'm going to go to an 11 seed, just like Johnny Juzang was in that magical Final Four year. And I'm going to go with Desmond Cambridge from Arizona State. I think that he is, one, he's going to come in motivated because I'm guessing there's probably some bad blood there with him in Nevada. <laughs> um, playing uh, old Pac-12 foil, Gerard Lucas. Um, that'll be a battle of shot makers between the two of them. Um, uh, 
but I just think he has that type of game, um, that type of shot. Uh, and he's so, he's, he, he seems like a very competitive guy when you're watching him play. He plays with a lot of fire. He's a fun guy to watch. Not super deep analysis there, but those are the guys I want to bet on in March. Juzang was kind of the same way where it's like, hey, you know, this guy's just fun. He's, he's funky. He's fun to watch. Um, and then I'll also say I, I could see Amari Bailey being that guy as well. Um, I could see him being like, fuck it. I want to be a first round pick. Sorry if I, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. On this. Are, yeah. Please, <laughs> please. Um, Have you heard this podcast? <laughs> um, but you know, I could see him being like, fuck it. I want to be a first round pick. Let's average, you know, 16 a game over these first three games in the tournament. Get us to the elite eight. I think he is a really, really electric athlete. Um, got called for one of the most absurd offensive fouls no. I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, and I think that he is, he's learned over the course of this year how to coexist with Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkes, which is a very hard thing to do mm-hmm. because those guys are so ball dominant, but they're both good passers. So he's kind of learned to find the cracks, right? He's, he's learned to find, okay, I can cut here and, and get a shot or, this is a moment where I should be attacking to hunt my own shot versus when I should be deferring. I think he's learned to be good at that. And those are the guys who I think can take a step up because Hawkins is going to demand so much attention. You know, if he's getting double, the ball's going to go to Bailey and I think Bailey can make a play. So those are the two who kind of stand out to me is they can get hot. They can put their team on their back and, and really make a run um, in the tournament. No Boogie Ellis. I was surprised you didn't you didn't have him there. He's gotten thirty points several times this year. Feels like he is uh he goes he gets really hot himself. Are you uh you out on Boogie Ellis as one of those guys? I wouldn't say I'm out. I think he can do it. Um I just I like I, I just think he's uh just by nature of partially being smaller and then partially the team around him. I think um, you know, again, Bailey getting to play with Hawkins and Campbell and then Cambridge does a lot of playmaking for himself, but he also gets to catch and shoot a lot playing off of Frankie Collins. Um, You know, he has good chemistry with his brother. Warren Washington's a great screener. Um, That's going to open him up. I feel like Boogie's a lot more ISO heavy, very reliant on creating his own jumper, just one-on-one. And that even goes back to, again, like someone like Johnny Juzang was able to get a lot of shots, even if they were semi-isolations, you know, he was set up in the mid post. He was he had someone who could get him the ball where he wanted it and then attack. I, I, I worry that Boogie Ellis, like he could have one big game, but I could see his legs kind of getting tired or, um, you know, a team like Marquette specifically, like with their press, if he's forced to do so much because he's the only real ball handler on the court, uh, it, it suddenly becomes a, a big bit of an issue for him to be that one on one ISO scorer for like 30 possessions in a game. Great points. I want to transition. I know I told you it was your last question, but I got one more for you. This is Greg's favorite topic. Uh, the NIT. Uh, we got the NIT bracket. It's we my have... favorite topic now. Let's let's be <laughs> honest. <laughs> <laughs> We've got your team, Washington State, uh, in as a four seed in the NIT. Number one, a number one seed, Oregon. They will play UC Irvine, who beat them earlier this year. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and we have Colorado, who comes in at a number three seed. Uh, let's talk about the Cougs. I mean, you know, you talk, you're you're a Cougs Center guy, and you've been writing and talking about the Cougs. Are you? Uh, how have you felt about? I'm, I'm just dying to know how you felt about this season, fourth seed in the NIT. That's sort of where it's been at. I understand the first couple of months ravaged by injuries, but how do you feel the season turned out for you all? 
I feel like this was about as good as we could have hoped for in some ways. Um, so not only were we ravaged by injuries in the first couple of months, we also had two projected starters who have missed the entire season. One had cancer, one um, missed with a sort of undisclosed season ending um, non-basketball related injury. Um, so both those two, Deshaun Jackson, Miles Rice, were real pillars on both ends. And, and we had to kind of completely remake our offense and defense. Um, and I think our staff did a pretty admirable job of that. Uh, there was obviously some very disappointing moments, but a lot of our games against really good teams were really close. You know, we lost to Utah early in the year by two and a game that went to OT that we should have won. Lost to UCLA by one. In the conference tournament, lost to Oregon by five. It's hard for me to be too upset with that, given the circumstances. Um, but there was that like slight hope. There were some bad losses early in the year. Um, but I'm pretty impressed in general with the job our staff did. Again, like I, I think it doesn't get enough credit that we completely rebuilt our offense. Last year, it was a lot of pistol actions, a lot of horns, um, trying to get our guards in pick and roll or or... Um, we love these little like cyclone screens to get Ty Roberts going as a shooter. And this year we're like, we don't have the bigs to run those schemes. So we had to mix it up. We've gone to a lot of chin and chest actions um, and, and it's worked. Like we've been a very good offense. It's not always the prettiest, but you know, 63rd in the nation, sixth in the pack 12, that's pretty good considering we don't have a point guard and you know, our, our, our best perimeter scorer uh, missed like chunks of the year and, has had a torn ligament in his hand for the past two months. So like I, 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 I'm hard pressed to be upset, even though it maybe wasn't the season we were all hoping after the real upswing last year of, Oh, this team actually made the NIT. Where do we go from here? Oh, we're just back in the NIT, but it- I have a question. Uh, you mentioned bigs and screens. And uh, <laughs> something that I uh, lamented to Carlos about during the NCAA tournament I just wanted to ask you about it because I want to know if I'm crazy or if this is true. It seems to me like Muhammad Gay is just a dreadful screener and provides so little value there. (laughs) All all the big things. So like he, and and I mentioned this a couple of times, but like this year for us, he is a wing. His shot volume Uh is that of a wing. Um, you know, like, like, like 64 or something like that percent of his two point jumpers or just two point shots in general, excuse me, were considered self-created non-assisted. Uh, I might be off by a couple percentage points, but like a very high number of his, like, like that's what happens when you're a wing, when you're, Mm -hmm. when he's like an isolation wing. And there's obviously some positives to that, but there's also some negatives. He's, he's a very bad instinctual rim rim protector. Um, By the end of the year, we've, we've started to tell him, don't contest shots at the rim because he's our only scholarship big right now. Uh, our, our backup big is, is Jack Wilson, who um, is a walk-on who played football last year uh, for our team. So, uh, you know, it's we kind of got to keep him preserved. But even when he was, even when we thought we had slightly more depth there, uh, he's a bad rim protector. He's a bad screener. Um, he's not a particularly effective role man because he never wants to roll. He always kind of wants to pop into the middle of nowhere. But all that being said, he has developed very nicely all those wing skills. Obviously, he has that like mid-range dribble pull-up that's been good. He's he's shooting like super small sample, but over his last six games, he's shooting like 65% from three or something like that. Um, and he is a very good passer for his position and for what we ask him to do. He is the centerpiece of our offense, 
because we don't really have a point guard, we ask him to kind of be that uh, tip of the spear running those chest actions. And he's done all that stuff well. So I, I think he's developed well, even if it's been slightly different from what we maybe expected. But it's also important to note that we thought he would be starting next to Deshaun Jackson, who mm. is a more traditional big, who is a great screener, mm-hmm. a solid rib protector, and just a you know a big body at the post. So we kind of didn't think Mo had to develop those specific big skills. It was more valuable valuable for him to be a wing. And then all of a sudden, actually, you are our starting five, and you have to do both. And you know, it, it hasn't really coalesced in the way we wanted it to. But um, yeah, there's there's positives and negatives, but the big stuff it frustrates me too. As I mentioned to Carlos, <laughs> as, as a as a hater of of bigs who are bad on defense, Mo has had some very very frustrating moments to me this year. <laughs> Um, so I, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> well, we want to get you out of here ASAP, but I wanted to just leave you some rooms. Any predictions for how the Pac-12 will fare in the NCAA tournament? And if you're feeling up for it, any predictions about how they'll fare in the NIT? I'll start with the NIT so your your <laughs> listeners have to stay to hear the actual NCAA's <laughs> thoughts. Um, I, th- I think WC will take care of Eastern. We beat them by like 25 early in the year. Comfortable win there. Um, Oklahoma State is really good. Uh, they they would be a tournament team if they played in the Pac-12. They just happen to play in the Big 12, which is the best conference in the sport. Um, so that's kind of a rough sec- potential second-round matchup. Um, so I'm not sure WSU makes like a huge run. Um, Oregon, if they beat UC Irvine, are probably the best team in their bracket. Uh, Florida is going to – they've been pretty bad recently. They lost – they've lost their best player to injury. Um, so I, I don't necessarily see them coming out too. Like I don't, I've seen them having too much trouble past UC Irvine, who is very good. Uh, Liberty's good, but I think they should handle Liberty just fine with their athleticism. Uh, Colorado, I think also has a pretty advantageous path, except for the fact that Utah Valley's really good. Um, so I, I, I think a PAC 12 team will make it to New York and, one of those three could potentially win it all, but I do have a hard time betting against Oklahoma State in this one. I think they're really good. Uh, they Again, they would have been a tournament team in just about any other conference. And then as for the NCAA tournament, um, like I said, I think UCLA has a really realis- realistic path to the Final Four, um, despite missing their who I think was their most valuable player this year in Jalen Clark. Um, I think that uh, you know losing him is hard because he's such a big key to their defense, but I think the path is is pretty reasonable. Um, I, I predicted Amari Bailey to have a big tournament. I stand by that. I think Hawkes is still, you know, I have my questions about him as like an NBA prospect, but as a college player, he's still absurd. Like he is, you know, he's what people think Drew Timmy is, um, as for what that's worth. Um, you know, Kansas is great. If they face Kansas in the Elite Eight, that'll be a tough game, but I think that's a really realistic path for them. I think Arizona State at least gets past TCU um, hmm. USC I think they could beat Michigan State like I, I there's a chance the Pac-12 has four teams playing in the second round that's what I'll say uh, for whatever that's worth Arizona is the, maybe the one I'm least confident in in the second round but um, there there is a real path for the Pac-12 to make a little more noise than some expected considering we barely squeaked in four teams <laughs> Well, thanks so much for all of your time and for all of your expertise. I feel like I learned a lot in these uh, in this short time. So, thanks again. You can follow Bryce at Bryce Hendricks fourteen. Did I get that right, Bryce? Yeah, there's actually no S. It's just Hendrick. 
uh, and I haven't. Oh, I didn't even notice it. that. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> you. It's it's kind of dumb, but I kind of like it, so I I've kept it that way my the whole time. <laughs> At Bryce Hendrick fourteen, follow him on Twitter. He does a lot of really great stuff. Um, so check him out. We brought him on here because he knows so much ball. Thanks again, Bryce, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank. Cool. Thank you, Bryce. Right, thank that you. was awesome. Greg learned a lot. I did learn a lot. All right. Well, that was our conversation with Bryce Hendricks. Greg, you were extremely wrong about a lot of stuff. Do you have anything to say for yourself? I was so wrong. Uh, This is what (laughs) happens when you have takes about shit you haven't watched. Although, um, I have to say, UConn Final Four is coming. My Huskies. (laughs) Um, great stuff from, from Bryce made me really think about some of these teams, made me feel a little more optimistic. Mm-hmm. I, I confirmed some of our suspicions, UCLA and ASU's bracket, maybe a little, maybe a little light, um, made me feel a little bit better about USC. Uh, it sort of felt like maybe they could be in the sweet 16, which would be crazy. Um, uh, made me feel at validated about Arizona mm-hmm. and wondering about skepticism of them. So really great conversation. Uh, so anyway, yeah. All right. Well, that's all we had. This was a great uh, conversation with Bryce. A uh, good episode. Another perfect 10 out of 10 from us. Good job, Greg. Mm-hmm. We did so good. We did incredible work. Anyway, games start on Wednesday. We, I forgot to say this. I forgot to say this, Greg. We are doing a weekly pick In fact, I should have the link ready. Um, mm. The trivia question. The trivia question and a weekly pick those are both things that we absolutely have to do. But, you have a trivia but, question for us, Greg. Let's make it up right here on the spot. No, no. I meant that we have a trivia question that we did and we had answers. No. That is right. Uh, that's right. Greg, what I am going to do is I am going to have you pick a number between one and three. Okay? One and three. Ready? You got one? I do. And the number is? Two. Two. Matt Abbott uh, at Matt A-B-B-0-T-T. You have won a $50 Homefield gift card. Please uh, DM us or let us know. Email us uh, at uh, the No Truck Stops podcast. Sorry, just No Truck Stops podcast at gmail.com. Homefield will email you your gift card. So just email us. Give us your email. Send us your email in some form or fashion. So that's great. Congratulations to them. We have a weekly pick them. So I have no idea how we're going to do this. I was supposed to create a form um, and didn't even think twice about it because I am a moron and because I was also extremely busy. So how are we going to do this, Greg? Do we create a form? Do we just have people DM us? Um, I'm, I'm good with either. Uh, I think people DMing us would be easier. And that okay. way people can just DM us once they've listened to the podcast. Uh, Great. Okay. Easier than just sending the form out as many times as possible. That's true. Okay. Here's how we're going to do it. <laughs> just making it up as we go along. Goodness gracious. Deeply unprepared. Also, for this then part. they can send the screenshots of them following home field. That is great. Okay. So over DMs, DM us. Okay. Your selections for the Pac 12 games. Okay. So tell us uh, what you're going to do is you're going to tell us the result of Arizona Princeton. Okay, you're going to tell us the result of USC, Michigan State, UCLA, Asheville. And for Arizona State, you're going to tell us the result of the Nevada game and you're going to tell us the result of the TCU game. Okay, if you pick TCU to lose, whatever, we'll do some calculation stuff. Winner 
we'll get a $50 home field gift card. We're going to calculate winners based on points. Uh, one point for getting it correctly. Uh, that Arizona State-Nevada one, one point for getting it correctly. If you happen to score, if Arizona State happens to win, you guess that one correctly too, we'll give you a point there. If there's a tie, we'll do it randomly. How's that? Does that sound good, Greg? Just made it up. Cool. Easy as that. Sounds great. That will be for a $50 Home Field gift card. Thank you so much to Home Field for supporting that. Trivia question. Oh, man. This is a great question. I want to do an NCAA tournament question. Uh, I don't know. What are we? What are we thinking? What are we thinking, Greg? <laughs> Outside of UCLA or Arizona, which Pac-12 program has the most tournament wins since 2000? How about that? Do we? Do you know the answer to that? I don't know the answer to that. Oh my! That's, that's why I said it is the question. I could figure it out. I could look it up. <laughs> think you could figure it out? I think I could. Uh, uh, let, let's see here. Let's let's look at something. I'm going to look at something here. Um, let's. Nope, I don't have that. I so outside of UCLA and Arizona, who has the most wins? Tournament wins. The th- most tournament wins. Okay, Greg, are you gonna figure it out? I, I think I you? know who the answer is, but I'm not sure. Okay, go confirm. Go confirm. Okay, then that's what we'll do. Greg will go confirm who has the third most tournament wins behind UCLA, Arizona, in the Pac-12. Okay. Anyway, that's our show. Some crazy nonsense at the end here to do the things that we were committed to doing. Terrible, terrible of us to not be prepared. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. That over there is Greg. I'm Carlos. Remember, there are no trick stops here. Nine one. I'm lonely